I thought somebody was coming up to do announcements first. Or they did, and I missed it. <laughs> um, Tim Ewis is not with us this morning. Tim is chair of the elder team. Uh, he is on a 10-day well-deserved vacation in uh, Yosemite. And uh, you could pray for him and his family that they would just have a fantastic time of uh, recreation and restoration. And I'm going to hand the mic to Will Outland, and he's going to start. He thought I was reading first. Uh-huh. You want me to read all the way down to the yeah, down to okay. yeah. So thank you for showing up. Uh, this this means a lot to everyone. We have been through quite a bit, and this has been quite a uh, quite a process. So four months ago uh, today, we shared the news that Mike Irwin has resigned. Today we stand before you at the end of a very long process. Of course, four months seems extremely short compared to the four years uh, with this last (laughs) process. Uh, with over 100 hours of meetings, including the ones with staff and elders, and uh, at least 20 hours of one-on-one with Josh uh, as, a, as uh, group meetings um, with the elders, uh, as the elders, we probably spent twice that much time in prayer seeking God's direction. As a church family, we have spent a multitude of hours on our knees seeking God's direction. We sent out uh, 253 polls to members, and 178 of those came back with 100% saying yes. With 100% of the polls uh, checked, Mark, I support the candidate of the position of senior pastor, uh, with all of this in mind, last Monday evening we concluded that the Holy Spirit confirmed uh, our belief that Josh Carstensen should be our next senior pastor. Our church constitution states that in the absence of a senior pastor, the elders are responsible for leading the body. This morning... We are exceedingly glad. (laughs) We are exceedingly glad to turn over that authority to Josh and to begin serving alongside him. And we encourage you to join us in that same spirit. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Josh has shared with all of us how God called him at an early age to preach. He is willing and very capable to preach and to be judged with greater strictness. However, the judgment will come from God and not from us. Many of you wrote comments regarding how encouraged you are by Josh's better half, Megan, and that that Josh and Megan model a Christ-like marriage. On August 25, we'll have a formal, uh, what we call installation service. And uh, at that time, we have some special guests that we anticipate will be in town and uh, do a 
that and then a reception or picnic that's to be determined exactly part of that will be what the Carstens would, Carstens would enjoy the most um, and uh, so with that I'm going to ask Josh and Megan and their daughters to come up front So I have a couple of mentors in my life that um, I heard from this week. And um, when they ask me to do something, I do it. That's how powerful they are in my life. So they asked me to sing to you again. (laughs) Cheer up, ye saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing to make you feel afraid. Nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails, so why not trust him and shout, you'll be sorry you never did tomorrow morning. We'd love it if you would extend your hands out in support and just in delight of God's blessing that he has brought to us. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, how you've moved, how you've directed, how you've had your perfect timing. And we are so, so thankful that you would be God to us. Lord, we look forward. We are going to forget those things which are behind and press on to those things which are before so that we might glorify your name and that Josh and Megan and the girls would just be for us that shepherd that we are so desperately in need of here. We pray, Lord, that you would use Josh and Megan and the girls in a mighty way. We pray that their lives would be protected. We pray that their lives would be enriched and encouraged. And whether they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death or they are on the highest mountain peak of the Holy Spirit working, that they will be continued to be empowered, to be faithful, and that you might be glorified in all this. Lord, to say that we are excited and delighted is just seems like the words aren't powerful enough for us this morning, but we are. And we ask for your amazing, sweet blessing on Northwest Hills and on Josh and Megan as they lead us forward so that many might be saved and many might grow and many might be encouraged and above all, you might be glorified. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you, people. You're going to go to class now. Penelope wants to stay with me. (laughs) Babes. All right. We doing okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I 
Honestly, I don't like attention. I don't like birthday parties for myself. I haven't had one, I don't know, 20 years. Um, whenever it's my day for birthday, I'm like, I don't know, let's just hang out as a family. Um, so I, I, I don't know that I'm like really looking forward to the 25th, the installation service. I don't know, that sounds weird, but, um, but it's right, I guess. It, it is right. Um, so I, I want to just share a little bit of of my heart, and I know I'm going to share a lot more on the 25th, um, again, because that's the right thing to do. It's important. We, we want to take time just to, to acknowledge this moment. It, it is a significant moment for my family, uh, for our church, uh, for me, uh, but most importantly, I, I think it's a moment where God is, is kind of rebuilding and doing something new here at Northwest Hills. So I want to uh, just, first of all, just say thank you. I mean, just even the last 20, 30 minutes, just all of you guys walking in, I mean, so many of you have been so encouraging, so supportive, um, just whether it's a phone call, whether it's an email, a text, just a hug. Um, I, just, I really feel like our church is very unified uh, in our love for each other, in your support of me, and, and thank you so much for that. That just means a ton to myself, to my family. Um, so, so a huge thank you to you guys. Um, the other truth is that I really don't want this to be about me. My prayer is, is always been like, I don't, when people think of Northwest Hills, I want them to think that that was a place where I met with God. This is a place where Jesus changed my life. Like I, I, I really don't want to be um, the person who's like, oh, when I think of Northwest Hills, I think of, of the pastor. And that's really not my aim. I really want to be forgotten. Um, like, I really hope, like, at the end of every single week, when we walk out of here, we say, man, I met with Jesus and it changed my life. So my, my hope, my aim, it's kind of just thinking about this. I really want to be um, maybe like a good um, postman, like someone who delivers the mail. You know, for some of you who are younger, I'm sorry, you don't get the experience that I had growing up. Like, you don't know what it's like to wait for something and to be excited when something gets delivered. But when I'm in junior high and, and it's that day when Surfer Magazine is supposed to come or the new Road and Track Magazine or, um, or just around your birthday when Grandma's card is coming, like, those are great moments, and, and it's, it's great to see the mailman. He's coming, and my mailman was great growing up. Honestly, he would stop and play basketball with us on occasion. Like, I can still kind of picture him. I, don't, I have no idea what his name was, but the reality is, like, I was far more excited about what he was bringing than who he was. And so my hope as a pastor is that you come, and, and yeah, it's, it, it's fun. We get to be together, and yeah, it's, it's nice that he's nice and cordial, but, but I hope he brings something good every week. And my hope is that I would bring something good, that, that the Lord would meet us here. And I mean this, I want this to be a place where Jesus is our senior pastor. Like, I truly mean that. I, I, I want to be forgotten, and I realize that there will be a time and a day where 50, 60, 80 years from now, someone will be reading, oh, there was that senior pastor, Josh Carson's son? Carson? Car- I don't know. I can't say his name. And, and then he was here till 2044. And then there's Logan Morris was senior pastor from 2044 to 2070. And then Joe, somebody was senior pastor from here. And, and I'm going to blink twice and be done. Like, that's just how life works. It just happens that way. Um, so I really, I really want to do everything that we can to, to make this a place where Jesus is our senior pastor. Um, 
The other thing, I just feel like it's right to say this, um, is that, yeah, I mean, we've talked, yes, I I feel very supported. You know, all the polls that came in were in support of us. That's super encouraging. But I also, like, I'm not naive. I know that the system's not perfect. And and there are some who have concerns. And and some of you, you know, I'm not your first choice. And I I guess I just want to say, like, that's that's okay. Like, I I want you to be okay with the fact that um, maybe there's some difference in in what we would desire a senior pastor to be. And I just want to open up a conversation. If you need to come talk to me, please, like, my office is always open. Like, I, I want this to be a place where we can be honest with each other. And, and if you have just things that you're just not super, you just have questions, like, seriously, come, come talk to me. I, I, really, I really want this to be um, a relationship that we can be open with each other. In, in a world where, um, really, we're not good at conflict, where we just get behind keyboards and rail on each other, like, the church needs to be a place where um, if we have questions and doubts that we can come and, and talk to each other. And so if you're kind of in that camp where you're just not sure about what's going on and, and maybe just have more questions, please, by all means, just come talk to me. I, I want to be a place, I know this is a silly catchphrase, but I want to be a place that's unified, not uniform. And, and it's okay to, to have difference. But I want to be be unified in in what we're doing. I want to be unified in in our vision, in our direction, in our strategy. Um, But we can have different preferences. And uh, I just just want to say that up front. I know that some of us, you know, maybe we didn't feel like this was the easiest place to share my real concern. And maybe we didn't feel like there was a place for honest feedback or honest discourse. And I just want you to know that that that's okay if you feel differently. Um, I've been in places where I haven't been excited about the person leading, uh, not necessarily here, but in places past. And so I just I want you to know that I, I understand and I, I feel like it's okay. Um, that being said, man, I, I really want this to be a place, and we started this morning, where everyone feels like they belong, where you have a place to serve, where you've got something to contribute. I believe that the body is not just the senior pastor. It is everyone. The church does not work unless all of us are doing what God created us to do. And the church works best when we do that together. And so, man, I hope that my tenure is marked by a season where everyone knows, you know what, I was created for a purpose, and it looks like this, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this with my career, and I'm doing this with my family, and I'm doing this in my church, and we all have a place. And everyone's place is important, not one more important than the other. So I hope that you find a place here. So I want to share just a little bit. Um, today is, is a very introductory um, kind of sermon. We're, we're going to get into a text, I promise you we will. But I want to just share just a tiny bit about kind of what the next few weeks, uh, really the next seven weeks, kind of some of my priorities are uh, just with our staff and kind of our lead team and, and some of our elders as we kind of get some of this going. Um, the first thing that we're really doing, and I want to ask that you would join me in prayer for this, is just praying into a theme for next year. Um, I really, I love it when churches have a theme for the year, something that we can kind of all push in one direction towards, um, whether it's the the children's ministry or the high school or youth or or seniors, like all kind of moving in one direction for a theme. And so I'm really just praying into God, what would our theme for 2019, 2020 be? Um, So I would ask that you'd be praying with me uh, as as we're just really asking God to kind of lead in a theme here. I'm I'm also working really hard to, to replace my other two jobs as the associate pastor and the youth pastor. Um, so again, I, there, there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, we have, um, I, I have a, a goal to, to really hire people who will be around for 10, 15, 20 years for a long time. And so, so I feel the pressure to get them here quickly, 
But at the same time, I, I realized like my job is not just to fill an empty seat. Like we need the right people here. And so I just, I just asked that you'd be praying with me, um, with our lead team, with our elders, as we're going to be kind of discussing who it is that can really fill some of these really key kind of staff roles. Because I think that's really important as we're kind of rebuilding a team here. So please join me in prayer for that. Um, a couple more things. This is pretty obvious, but, uh, but if you're new around here, like we're, we're still under construction. You walk around and, and there's holes all over ceilings and, and things aren't done and incomplete and in the middle of reconstruction. And, and we just want to say like we, we know that and we're working towards it and we're trying, to, we're trying to balance out just the tension of how much do you pay someone else to get them done and how much do we recruit volunteers and, and we're really kind of reprioritizing Okay, we, we've done a lot of spaces here and there, but in the next six months, where, where do we think is, is mission critical? Like, if you have a, a little baby right now, and, and you're not wanting to be in service, but you got a baby, like, our family was under construction and has been for like eight months, and so you're thinking, well, I guess my kid will be two by the time, so I won't need it anymore. But really trying to, trying to prioritize some of these things um, that maybe, uh, if you're kind of part of the larger church, you just don't see some of the progress, but I promise you, um, we're working towards that. Um, last, I want to just invite, invite anyone who wants to participate uh, really in prayer. We are, we're meeting, everyone who's serving uh, Sunday morning is meeting from 9.20 to 9.35 out here in the lobby. Uh, and we're meeting just to pray together before the service, really as one, because we've all, we all got different things going on. We've got different things we're a part of, but we want to uh, invite anyone, if you want to come pray with us before the service starts, please Come do that. It's really, really important. Um, so again, I, I know that that's kind of business, um, but I, I think it's, it's good to communicate some of those things up front. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk a little bit more, and then we'll get into a text. So would you join me in prayer? Hmm, Father God, um, these, these moments are important moments. God, this church is an important church. God, this city is an important city. Everyone in this room is important because we're important to you. God, and we come in this room this morning from all different weeks. Uh, some of us are, are very excited and life is good. And we just came back from some incredible vacation. And some of us come in and it took everything in us just to get us out of bed and to get us in this room. And God, I recognize that this morning. God, I recognize this morning... Um, just the significance and the importance of a, of a new season as we're rebuilding here at Northwest Hills. And God, we humbly come before you. And God, I just want to say we want to, to beg you to do something here. And God, that's going to that's gonna take a lot of obedience on our part. That's going to take a lot of humility. That's going to take a lot of repentance, a lot of confession, a lot of us getting out of the way, a lot of us getting on our knees begging, God, you do something. And Lord, we know that we have a part to play in that. God, your primary way that you work is through people. And it's not through a staff, and it's not just through an elder team, God. It's through every person in this room. It's through my five-year-old. It's through my two-year-old. It's through my seven-year-old. God, it's through all of us. So, God, I, I pray that as we build a new season here at Northwest Hills, we would be a family who loves each other, who supports one another, and who sees you as a father who loves us. 
Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to give you a little bit of a, um, a, not just recap, but kind of a vision of where we're going just in the next seven weeks. So again, I'm really praying into kind of setting up this theme for the fall, um, but here's what we're doing in the next seven weeks. So now until Labor Day is, is we're, we're actually going back into the book of Nehemiah. And here's why. Um, I don't think it was a mistake when God called us to go through Nehemiah in the beginning of January. I really believe that God called us, and it's interesting, you look at the title of our series, and it was Renew, the story of a new beginning. And I think God kind of chuckles, and he goes, yeah, there's going to be a lot bigger new beginning than you know of. <laughs> and, and we started this, this series, and, and we were in it for nine weeks, and we got through Nehemiah chapter 6. And uh, as our elder said, our senior pastor resigned, and, and we kind of took a hard right from there, and we left the book, and it was appropriate and fitting. But I think that what God was starting, I think he wants us to finish, and I, and I think it's beautiful for a number of reasons, what, what we're going to see in this book of Nehemiah. Um, I, I think that it, it breaks up real nicely into kind of two parts. And I think it's very fortuitous that God had in mind that the first part of Nehemiah really is chapter 1 through 6, where, where Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls around the city. And he finishes that at the end of chapter 6. And that's where we were when we left off at the end of March. And then the second part, I believe, is really where we're at as a church. And that's rebuilding a culture, rebuilding a people group, rebuilding something that was important. That was the nation of Israel. And I think that's exactly where we are in this moment right now. We're rebuilding. We're rebuilding our identity. We're rebuilding what it is that we, um, we're trying to protect, that we're trying to build something new. And, and we're, we've got a lot of voices into that. And we're trying to figure out, okay, God, what is it that you want us to do here? What is the core of who we are? And that's really what Nehemiah gets after in chapter 7 through 13. Um, I think it's, it's beautiful how um, we've got seven weeks left. And as I open it up just a couple weeks ago, I noticed, oh, there's seven chapters left. God, that's, that's kind of neat. Um, I also think that just kind of one last piece, it was just, just sort of affirmation of going through Nehemiah. Just this last week, um, one of the, I guess the first kind of act that I did as senior pastors, I, I asked our entire staff to come with us to, to pastor prayer for our city or to, to city prayer. So our whole staff went with us to city prayer, and I was sitting next to a newer pastor in town. He'd been a pastor since July 1st. He was a guy, 50s, 60s, and afterwards he came up to me and he said, Josh, I just, I really want to thank you for being faithful in, in preaching God's word. He says, it was six years ago that I was in your church and you were preaching, and he said, you were preaching in the book of Nehemiah, and during that sermon... Um, God just spoke absolutely clearly to my wife and I that we were to go back into the ministry and to be preachers again. And he just really thanked me for being faithful to preaching Nehemiah. And I, I, honestly, my first reaction was, I feel like you have the wrong church because I don't think I've ever preached through Nehemiah. <laughs> but um, I, I went back and, and sure enough, I, I, I didn't preach through it, but I preached one sermon in Nehemiah on prayer six years ago. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, okay, Nehemiah is where I, where I want you. And I, I just love that. Um, ultimately, kind of the question that I'm going to be asking us, I'm going to be asking myself through this series, um, through the next seven weeks, is what in my life needs rebuilding? You know, we're going to have some time uh, during the worship set to just really kind of think through a process in my life right now, in your life, as you're sitting in the seat, as we're kind of processing um, the rebuilding of a church, rebuilding of a culture, rebuilding of the things that we really value. As we walk out of here, as I'm thinking about my life, what needs rebuilding in my life? And I think Nehemiah has a lot to say about that.
So let's catch up. Where are we in Nehemiah? Um, a number of you have been here since January. Maybe some of you are new. I'm, today's really just kind of an introductory, just kind of set the tone for right back to where we are in Nehemiah chapter 7. So I want to set the stage. So in the very beginning of Nehemiah, if you were to open up in the first verse, chapter 1, uh, you read uh, that uh, Nehemiah gets a word from the Lord, and it's in, it's in the year 445. Um, this is significant because it tells us a lot about where the people of Israel were. Um, you, you open up the, the story in 445, and, and if you know the story of Israel, um, you've got this whole people group, and that's really what the whole Old Testament is about. Um, the Old Testament is kind of the first half of our Bible, and you've got really the story of God revealing himself to a people group, um, starting with one kind of just wandering man, Abraham, and God says, through you, Abraham, I'm going to start building something. And I'm going to build a nation. And I'm going to build a people group. And he does that. And that's really what the first half of the Bible is all about. It's a history of God working through uh, this nation that we call Israel. It's, it's still currently a nation. You may hear it referred to as the Jews. Um, but this nation grows over a few thousand years. Um, as they're growing, they become a people. They become a real nation. Uh, they have a language. They have a culture. They, they have a capital city. They build a temple. They have kings. They have a form of government. Um, really, they become established. And for 500 years, they're, they're an established nation. Uh, and as you can imagine, as nations do, they rise and fall in terms of are they following God or are they not? After about 500 years, God says, you know what? You've You've disobeyed me enough. I'm going to flex a little bit and I'm going to send the Assyrians and they're going to wipe out half of you. And so that happens in 722. And in 586, God flexes again and he sends the Babylonians and they, they annihilate and destroy um, the other half that was left in Israel. Um, but there is a remnant that's left. And so you've got a people group who, who now are brought 900 miles away. Um, their city is destroyed. What was once their capital in Jerusalem, what was once fortified by a mighty wall with a lot of brick is all knocked down. All that's gone. Their temple was destroyed. Their houses were burned. Um, all of their prominent leaders were killed. Um, they took a remnant uh, of slaves. They took a remnant of the younger men. And really what they did with them is they indoctrinated them into Babylonian ways to really just try to erase their culture, erase their history. And so here they are, um, really a bunch of refugees 900 miles away for a period of about 50 years over in Babylon. So think about this for a minute. Think about what it would be like to have your nation, have your culture, have your language, have your system of government all wiped out and now you're refugees. Uh, uh, I don't know, a little bit ago, I don't know, a month or so ago, my wife and I were, um, we were in a museum and uh, for the first time I got to put on a virtual reality set. Has anyone ever done the virtual reality? It's, it's really pretty fascinating. I've never done it before. Um, but we, we were putting on this virtual reality set, and there was a couple of different scenes that you could choose from. And one of the scenes that, uh, that I kind of walked through was a refugee camp in Iraq. And this is, this is a current refugee camp. And so you put on the headset, and it's got a 360 view, so you can kind of see all over the place. And you kind of pick different places where you walk through, so it feels like you're, you're actually in the camp. And you see what it's like to be in a bunch of tents. And you see what it's like. And they have, they have kids running around. There's, there's actually video. So you, so you get to see um, 10, 15 people living in a space 
as small as this stage, and you get to see kind of the, the makeshiftness of the people who are dispersed out of what was normal to them, and they've got their own kind of language, and they don't belong anywhere, and there's really no plan for what to do with them. And it was really a weird moment where you're going, man, this, this isn't just something that happened thousands of years ago. This is something that happens today. And it was that humbling moment just with that set on, kind of just looking all around going, man, it would be really hard to be displaced from your people. So as I was reading through Nehemiah, thinking through what it would have been like to go back, I just kind of got that flash of, of walking through and, and really spending 20, 30 minutes in this refugee camp just firsthand as much as I could in the virtual world thinking what it would have been like. So then something happens that's very unique, and I don't have time to get into it. You can read it. It's fascinating. You open up the book of Ezra, which is really the start of this story. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. It's one story. But in the start of Ezra, uh, you've got the king of Persia, who the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and the king of Persia, he tells his name Cyrus, he says, go back and rebuild. And so the, the first book you have, they go back and they rebuild the temple. And it's a smaller temple. And it's a temple that really, by the, by the time of completion, God's presence doesn't dwell in it the way that it once did. And so the people are really confused. You've got an older generation who's, who's really mourning the loss of God's special presence here in the temple. Uh, but they have the temple, but it's still not uh, the city. The culture still isn't quite there because they don't have any protection around the wall. And so what Nehemiah is, it's, it's a book where Nehemiah um, hears from the Lord. and He hears, I need to go back and rebuild a wall around Jerusalem so we can have some protection, so we can start rebuilding a culture again, not just a building, not just a few houses. And so that's what we get in the book of Nehemiah. In chapter 1, we get these words in verse 2. I'm going to just read some of this to really kind of, again, set the stage for where we are in the book. And again, I know it's introductory, but I think it's important for the next seven weeks here. So, so we read this in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So this is Nehemiah speaking, uh, and this is someone returning uh, his question. He says, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah hears, he goes, okay, I, I, I see what it's like to have our people kind of as, as outcasts. I know what it's like to kind of be a refugee. Um, we're trying to rebuild. A remnant are trying to rebuild. I think about 42,000 of them went back and rebuilt. But he's going, it's not complete, Lord. So, so what would it be like, God, for you to finish something? And so he starts praying and he fasts and he mourns. And then he goes before the king. And we read this in chapter 2. I'm going to read a chunk here. So in chapter 2, verse 1, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. So the king is very perceptive. He understands the situation. Nehemiah says, Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, 
The place of my father's graves lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to come to Judah. Or, uh, sorry, give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortresses of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. So again, you've got a pagan king. You've got Nehemiah going before the king and he's basically saying, my people are, are over there. They're 900 miles away. They've rebuilt, but I'm over here and I don't feel like I belong anywhere. I feel like I'm, I'm an outcast. I feel like where my heart is, is over there. And, and they, need, they need protection. They need to rebuild a culture. They need to rebuild an identity. And the king basically gives him the king's full entourage. And he says, absolutely go. I'm going to send an army with you. I'm going to give you all the resources I can. You're going to get timber. You can rebuild this, the wall. You can rebuild the gates. You can rebuild the houses within the city. I'm going to do everything that I can to support you. And really, that's nothing but a miracle from God. God's saying, yes, let's rebuild. And so here's where we left off. This is literally the last chapter that we were with Pastor Mike in chapter 6. These were the last verses that we preached through, and we're going to pick it up right here. This is chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in, the 50, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Okay, I want you to just, just take in this moment. This is the first time in 140 years that Jerusalem had existed like this. And you've got a long season when Nehemiah went back. If we were to kind of recap all of, of chapters one through six, there was a lot of opposition. This wasn't just like Nehemiah went back, rebuilt, all was well. No, there's a ton of opposition. There was times when it was like, no, you can't build. Oh, okay, let's stop. Or, or no, you can rebuild and all kinds of opposition. But finally, he pushes through. They get the wall rebuilt. And finally, for the first time in 140 years, you've got a city that now has protection. Now, then we open up chapter 7, and we see kind of the final pieces that Nehemiah puts into place. So he's got a plan here of how to protect, how to preserve, how to rebuild a culture, how to recreate an identity. And he says this in chapter 1 of verse 7. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed... I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes." 
The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So again, picture a city. Houses are, are literally, it's kind of like half construction. Nothing's finished. The temple is finished. The walls are finished. And Nehemiah is going, okay, now that we've got the walls finished, let me make a plan. Let me make a strategy. Let me, let me empower the right people. Let me find God-fearing people, people who love the Lord, people who are fully committed. Let me empower them and put them in place so that we can really establish a plan of protection around our city. And then we see a huge shift. And here's where we're going to be spending our efforts in the next six weeks here. We see a shift in Nehemiah from chapters 1 through 6 to chapter 7 through 13, where the shift takes place is this. It goes from all of the effort going to rebuilding the city to rebuilding what it was that the walls were trying to protect. I'm going to say that one more time. In chapters 1 through 6, all the efforts were all about protecting the city. And then in chapters 7 through 13, where the efforts go is to rebuilding the culture, rebuilding the people, rebuilding what it was that Nehemiah thought was worth protecting. And so we're going to get at the heart of what that was. We're going to get the heart of what it looks like to rebuild a culture, to rebuild a city, to rebuild an identity, to rebuild worship. So it's no longer, well, here's what it looks like to rebuild kind of the physical things, but here's what it looks like to prioritize what's most important in the life and the culture of the people. And really, that's the question that we're going to be asking as a church. That's the question that I'm going to be asking us as individuals. What in my life needs rebuilding? All of us have something that needs rebuilding rebuilding. And so as we wrap up today, we're going to wrap up because it's just a shorter sermon. We've had some other things going on. I want to ask us, what needs rebuilding in my life? Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse, right? Maybe it's a season where, you know what, for a while we're, we've just kind of been doing the whole roommate thing. Right? And, and God's got something new. He's got something fresh. Maybe you've been at this 15, 20, 40, 50 years. And God's saying, you know what? For this season, I want you to rebuild what once was your first or your second love after your love for me. A, a unique season in your marriage. Maybe it's a time where, where what needs rebuilding is, is really a priority of, of worship. Maybe it's a commitment to a church. Maybe for, the, for this season, you're saying, I need to rebuild my commitment to Northwest Hills. You know, for some of us, we, we go through different seasons in life where maybe we just had a kid and we're trying to figure out what's normal and what's new and we're, we're trying to figure out the whole church thing. We're trying to figure out the whole school thing, trying to figure out the whole friend thing. And, and maybe we've got to figure out and prioritize, okay, God, how do I rebuild that? Or maybe you're a bit older and your kids just left the home. I know a lot of people, when kids leave the home, you kind of go through this whole season where you're going, okay, what do I need to rebuild here? Because this is a new way of life. Maybe I was just talking to someone today where, where a, a parent is moving into the home, a, a, a senior parent, and this is a new season. So what do we need to rebuild here? Maybe it's a season of rebuilding your physical health. Maybe it's a season of rebuilding financial health. Maybe it's, it's a season of rebuilding our spiritual um, kind of uh, disciplines and habits. What in our life needs rebuilding? We're going to have some time when the worship team comes up here to really think through what needs rebuilding in my life. But here's where I want to end. And I want to end here every single week in this book. It's fascinating. If you, as we go through the story of Nehemiah, and we're going to get there, they, they rebuild all the physical stuff, and then they rebuild the culture. And really, spoiler alert, at the end of the book, it's, 
It's really a sad story. Nehemiah really ends in kind of a tragic way. Because they have all these reforms that we're going to see. And they've got the, the worship service. And they've got all the elements in place. They've got confession. They've got Sabbath, right? They've got the disciplines down. They've got the things that they need to reprioritize. But what they don't get is they don't get the heart. And really, Nehemiah ends tragically. And ultimately, I think it's just this reminder, like this constant Old Testament reminder that what we need to have rebuilt more than anything is we need a heart that needs rebuilding. And so really... Yeah, we're going to look at some of the extra things that need to be rebuilt. But I want to put us face to face with the cross this morning. I want to put us face to face with the cross every morning. And I want to say, my heart is what needs rebuilding. And for the Christian, for someone who's already said, Jesus, I, I, I believe in you. I put my faith in you. I, I've, I've confessed that you're Savior, that, that I have a heart that's prone towards wandering, that I have a heart that's incredibly selfish. Maybe what needs rebuilding is a heart of obedience. A heart of obedience decides I need to obey the things that I are already know to be true. And so maybe over the next seven, six weeks here, what needs rebuilding is, is a softness of our heart and a softness towards obeying what we know to be true. Maybe you're here and, and you haven't put your faith in, in Jesus. And, and you're really more than anything, maybe you want a new heart. Maybe your prayer this morning is, Jesus, um, I, I want to believe, but there's just a block in my mind somewhere that I, I, can't, I can't quite get there. And so maybe your prayer this morning is, give, give me a new heart so that I, so that I can believe. Give me, give me eyes to see. Give me a heart that longs for you. And so really on my first day as senior pastor, I want to put us face to face with Jesus and say, Jesus, we need a new heart. Every one of us do. It's, it's the gospel. Like it, it, it gets us there. It says, yeah, we're going to work on all these things and we all have things we need to work on. And I want us, I want us to really kind of pick one thing. In your life, pick that one thing. What's that one thing that needs rebuilding? But then dig a little bit deeper and say, Jesus, what needs rebuilding more than anything is my heart. Because if my heart isn't there, it's all for nothing. Because we're going to see that in Nehemiah. It's all for nothing by the time it finishes because it all fails. Nehemiah leaves. He sets it all up. He leaves. It's all in good hands. And he comes back and it's right back to the beginning. And my prayer, my heart is that we would not be a church that's just constantly not looking at what matters most. And that's the heart. So would you pray with me? Mark's going to give us a little bit of time to kind of process and think through what it is that needs rebuilding in our lives. But ultimately, my prayer is, Jesus, you would rebuild our hearts. Father God, as we kind of introduced a little bit of, of where we all were um, back in, in January and February and kind of in the end of March, and as we kind of introduce this book now, God, we, we see this moment where where Nehemiah shifts from, from rebuilding the physical to looking at what's most important. And God, all of us in this room, we have different things in our lives right now that are most important and they need rebuilding. God, there's things in my life that need rebuilding. I, I, I got to work on some things. God, I, I just pray over the next seven, six weeks that I'd pick one of those things. God, what needs rebuilding? But Lord, before I get to one of those things, um, I, just, I just pray that you would work on my heart. God, because without a renewed heart, 
It's an effort in vain, and it's something that won't last. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's anyone in this room right now who's, who's got really a heart that, that wants to know you, God, but that feels kind of stuck, that feels like there's just a block somewhere that I just, I can't see what it is that everyone else seems to see. God, the invitation is simple. Give me a new heart. God, help me to see you for who you are. God, I've got a heart that is selfish. I've, I've got a heart that just wants to serve me. God, give me a heart that sees you for you, God, that I can follow you and know you and obey you and repent from my selfish heart. And God, give me one that is new. Lord, let us be a church who loves you and loves each other. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.